We're hearing that there is a, a likely push for additional hearings, perhaps as soon as this month. Uh, Mr. Corbell and others have been collecting data on this issue for years. The implications are huge, not only that our world has a non-human inhabitants and visitors, but also that we've been lied to about this. Is there a government within our government? Is there a shadow government? We should probably reach out to that fire-breathing member of Congress named Tim Burchett. Oh yeah, Tim Burchett, man. Uh, he is a, a warrior for UFO truth. Absolutely transparency. He does not want this cover up anymore. I would love to talk with him. You think we can get him on the phone? We should do it right now. Hey there, can you see us? Yes, sir. Excellent. Oh, perfect, man. Secrets, cover-ups, and strange phenomena. UFOs and ideas that challenge reality itself. All these mysteries, all this time. Are we ever gonna get to the bottom of these? My name is George Knapp. I dig into news stories that others can't or won't. I'm Jeremy Corbell, and for some reason, people tell me things they probably shouldn't. And this is Weaponized. Weaponized. This is Weaponized. You know, July is always a cool date in UFO world because it's always the anniversary of the Roswell event. And they have this huge Roswell fest that's created uh, in celebration of the crash, alleged crash of a UFO 1947 in the desert of New Mexico. And it's uh, it's often been viewed as folklore, I think, by media people, my journalism brethren, by Congress, by science. But I think that story, crash retrievals, reverse engineering, metamaterials, all that stuff is now getting a, a new look. Yeah, it's it's totally bizarre to be living in this world now where we have Congress and Senate talking about reverse engineering of UFOs and stuff that we've known about or heard about or investigated, but now it's kind of like out in the zeitgeist. That's got to be a really fun festival this year. Yeah, it's. I, I've never been to the festival. I've been to Roswell and interviewed people. I mean, it was, you know, it was an amazing series of events. Whatever it was that crashed in the desert, you had the U.S. government, the Army Air Force at the time, announced that they had recovered a flying saucer. Then they quickly changed their tune. It was a weather balloon. And over the years, uh, the military has changed it many more times. Now it's a double secret probation weather balloon case closed, the Air Force would like to say, but the case is not closed. The public has continued to demand uh, answers about Roswell and other events, and now Congress is hot on the trail. Yeah, what does double secret probation mean? You're always making that joke. What does that mean? It's from Animal House. It's it's a, a line from Animal House, the movie, yeah. Oh man, I should have known that. Really, really secret. Really secret. So, I mean, but look, that's where this the, the whole kind of lore or understanding of UFO crash retrievals, although the, there may have been one at the Trinity site before, that's where the lore comes from, right? Is Roswell, this idea that a craft of extraterrestrial origin crashed with bodies and it was covered up. That's where you get the weather balloons. That's, you know, the, like swamp gas. When someone says that, J. Allen Hynek said, you know, some UFO sightings might be swamp gas. So that's where you get the weather balloon bullshit, right? Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. So, you know, if anybody who's following this topic, they now know that Congress is hot on the trail of stories about crash saucers and reverse engineering programs where that information might be, might be hidden. And we know that there have been some public hearings in the past uh, in, front of, in front of Congress that we'll talk about. But we're hearing that there is a, a likely push for additional hearings, perhaps as soon as this month. Yeah, man, uh, we know. <laughs> so I think we're going to spill some beans today. I, I think we got to talk about it. But let's go back in the past. So when you talk about the, the UFO subject, you talk about military and Air Force involvement, starting all the way back to Roswell. Um, you have the 52 flyover of Washington, D.C., where jets were scrambled and were outpaced by these things. Uh, that is fact. That is known. That is in public record. We even had uh, acting general you know, give a press conference at that time. But as far as hearings, we had some 50 plus years ago, right? Yeah. So the first um, major congressional hearing in the UFO issue was in 1966. And it was an outgrowth of a famous, the, the famous swamp gas case. So there was a series of, of sightings of UFOs in Michigan. Uh, people who were fairly credible witnesses reported what they had seen. And then the, uh, the U.S. Air Force sent in Alan Hynek and the, the, those folks to investigate. And uh, they said it was swamp gas. And the, the people who were, had witnessed this thing were insulted. They raised hell about it. And one of those who heard their cries was a congressman named Gerald Ford, who later became president. Gerald Ford was an influential member of Congress. 
he pushed for hearings and they had them in 1966. Uh, and it was, it was sort of orchestrated in a way that's very similar to what the public has seen of, of recent congressional hearings into this issue because the only people that testified to that 66 hearing were Project Blue Book folks. Alan Hynek, I think the, the Secretary of Defense, Harold Brown, and then Major Quintanella, who was head of Blue Book. And of course, you can predict what kind of information went into that, that hearing. So, so there were two hearings, though, um, and didn't at one of the hearings, didn't they have uh, Air Force pilots testify? Well, they had scientists. So the 66 hearing, they had the three guys associated with Project Blue Book who basically told members of Congress, don't worry, uh, there's nothing really to study here. But Project the Congress had basically ordered a review of Blue Book. And because of that 66 hearing, they launched what was called the Condon Committee. So uh, a professor named Condon from the U University of Colorado took a contract to study Blue Book to determine, are UFOs a threat to national security? Is there anything to this? Uh, it, it only came out later that uh, Professor Condon already had his mind made up. He, he didn't think there was anything to UFOs. He thought UFO authors and investigators should be horsewhipped, he said in confidential memos. So you can guess how the Condon Committee report was going to come out. Now, the, the body of that report is different from the conclusions. The conclusions just kind of whitewash the whole thing away. But the body of the report shows there's a genuine mystery underway here. So in 68, uh, two years after that first hearing, they had another one. They had uh, six scientists who submitted papers. Stan Friedman was one of them. And then they had six people who testified in, in front of the committee and, um, and gave a lot more information about the UFO mystery. But the end result was they, they reviewed the Condon Committee report. A year later, they canceled Project Blue Book. The Air Force said, we're done with UFOs forever, which of course, you know, we know that's not true. Yeah, we now know that's a lie because of the breaking of the OSAP and ATIP programs whatever you want to call them. So, but what's interesting to me is, so we've never really had uh, a, a congressional hearing where credible people come up and they say like, I am a pilot, this is what I saw. That's never been official, that's never happened? Not that I know of, no. Okay. I mean, we've been hoping that was gonna happen. You know, in, in the wake of December 2017, the New York Times story, the public has been calling for it, but I think there's a real appetite for something like that to happen. So if we move forward to where it wasn't official, but there was mock congressional hearings, which is something that I was heavily involved with. Uh, my friend Ruben Langdon was the guy that really produced it, set it up, had 40 witnesses over a week testify at the National Press Club in a, like a mock congressional hearing. It's called the Citizens Hearing on Disclosure. We've made it completely free on YouTube. It's like the C-SPAN of UFOs. It's, it's kind of boring, but you have uh, awesome people coming up and giving firsthand direct eyewitness testimony, plus scientists and all that other stuff and researchers. That was a very cool event. And to be part of it when I was just kind of jumping in a little bit to the UFO thing was really fun because I got to meet a lot of people. But I, I thought it was a great thing to do. I just, the whole thing was, is Congress ever going to take this seriously? Yeah, well, you know, those were former members of Congress that were the ones asking the questions at the citizen hearing, right? I should have said that, yeah. yeah. So uh, five congressmen, one senator, I believe, we had up there asking the questions for, for over a week. I mean, it was, it was amazing. Uh, but what I'm saying is, would it ever be official? Back then in 2013, we're wondering if there was ever going to be an official hearing. Now, we kind of got hearings. We kind of did. Let's talk about those maybe. Yeah, so, you know, uh, the public, the UFO public, has been demanding hearings for a long time. They think that that's the way to get to the bottom of it. A congressional hearing is not the perfect investigative tool to use to get to the, to the heart of a matter. It is useful. It's useful for engaging the public, for, for showing that Congress is doing the will of the public and digging into something that the public is interested in. But I think that probably, in reality, you can get a lot more done behind closed doors, having the kind of witnesses that we know have been appearing before Congress for a number of years now. December 2017, the New York Times comes out with a story that talks about ATIP. And although the story got some things wrong, the fact that there had been an, an actual and ongoing investigation that had been engineered by Harry Reid and two of his colleagues, that they'd secured $22 million that, eventually, that went into a program called ALSAP, ATIP kind of got the credit for it in this, uh, in this news story, but OSAP was the name of the program, and they created the world's largest UFO database. Now, the public hasn't seen it, Congress hasn't seen it, uh, but there are agencies that are using that database right now. After that New York Times story came out in December 2017, members of Congress were amazed that this had been going on, and they had no idea it, it was underway. 
So they started calling. I know Senator Harry Reid had shared with me, hey, I'm getting the phones ringing off the hook with my former colleagues who want to know what's the deal on this? Is this real? And because Reid had said, yeah, it's real, and we've, we've been digging into it, and this was a real program, members of Congress started asking for briefings. And in, in early 2018, a series of witnesses started appearing behind closed doors, first for congressional staffers, intelligence and armed services committees, where these witnesses, I think people like Dave Fravor and, and, and others would, would tell them what they had seen, the Tic Tac incident, the Gimbal incident, about programs and investigations that Congress had no idea was underway, were underway, or that the public had paid for this stuff. So members of Congress started hearing from their staff, they look, this looks real. They started get, getting briefings in 2018. And after that, it became like the hottest ticket on Capitol Hill. Everyone became interested. They, they weren't so much out in front of, of the issue saying, we want to get to the bottom of the UFO mystery, but they were very cautiously proceeding to figure out whether it was real or not. And I think that's really smart. And I want to distinguish the difference for our audience of closed door briefings and, and open briefings, because that's what we're kind of where we're going with this episode. I want to talk about that, but they're, they're very important and they're very different. So for example, we actually broke the information with Commander Fravor on stage in Oregon that he had been having and doing these briefings for uh, Senate and staff and, and, and all that stuff. Working with some folks at the DIA gets interested in this subject enough to where he initiates a program. A friend of yours, Lou Elizondo, had his own slice of a study, ATIP, looking at nuts and bolts, flying saucers, encounters with military units. We have reported that Congress is now interested, that the congressional staffers, closed door briefings with pilots, with witnesses, and that now elected members of Congress are looking at it without crossing a line or violating confidence. Can you speak about that in general terms? There is an interest in this at very high levels. Yes, there are people that think this is very important to look at. There were two of us that went and talked to people. We've done it multiple times. I think it's important. What do you got to lose? Would you guys spend $22 million over five years to maybe find something that you would change the way we do life? So he was doing that behind closed doors. And the reason he was doing that, and a lot of other people have come forward, is because there's only certain things that could be said without jeopardizing national security. So these closed door briefings are really important because what they're doing is they're saying, here's what I know, here's a program name, this is what I saw. They don't want competing technologies or foreign adversarial nations to, to know, you, as you always say, you can't tell your friends without telling your enemies. So the closed door briefings are very important, but look, everybody's looking for transparency. We need open briefings with the best information that we can put out without putting our country in, in jeopardy. You'll notice in the next couple of hearings we're about to talk about, every time something sensitive came up, like have we detected UFOs underwater? Closed, closed door, better for closed door, because we have incredible sensors under the water to detect UAP or UFO, and they have been detected, but that's not something that is you know, uh, readily gonna be put out to our friends and enemies on national television. So closed door briefings are important, but open door briefings also are. But what I saw and what comes next is, the, they said the first briefings in over 50 years, do you remember that first one ran by, um, Representative Carson, right? Can you tell me what that meant for us? Well, it was huge. It was the first public hearing uh, on the UFO issue in front of Congress in 54 years. Uh, the, you know, after those revelations of 2017 and the briefings that started in 2018, Congress became interested in this and they foisted upon the Department of Defense, forced it, uh, the creation of an organization to investigate this stuff. Unofficially, there had been something that became the UAP task force that existed in, starting in 2018. Our friend Jay Stratton was the head of it. And he's, he put together a, a network of people throughout the government who helped collect information on this. He put together a briefing document that then was delivered to members of Congress, Joint Chiefs, defense contractors, and others, and, and sort of did a state of the uh, issue um, statement on what we know, you know, the kinds of cases that are, are worthy of investigation, proving that this is a legitimate mystery. Congress then formally created the UAP task force and gave them the authority to go after this. That task force later became Arrow, or actually it was something else in between. Uh, AIMSOG, yeah, AIMSOG, yeah. AIMSOG, the most improbable acronym in the history of, <laughs> of programs. And then that became Arrow and headed by Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick. But 
the, the House in May of 2022 held the first hearing, 54 years, and, um, and it was a big disappointment. You know, I think it was, it was a classic case of the public expectations exceeding what really could happen. Well, hold on. I wasn't disappointed. Your man, you're always disappointed with stuff that I'm not. Maybe I'm naive, but check this out, man. I thought it was cool as fuck. So here, here's the deal. We heard it was coming. This was our little insertion into like, you know, cracking that egg. So we heard some, we, we knew that something was going on. It was coming. We thought, well, how can we get some of the real issues, you know, put forward? So we decided to launch some footage and images that we had, you from the East Coast, me from the West Coast. They didn't have some of that information. That ended up coming up in that hearing. Um, it, I had a coffee drop moment during that. Uh, Mr. Corbell and others have been collecting data on this issue for years. It was, it was crazy, right? Yeah. So what, what, what I was seeing, the positive thing was, we started pushing, as did a lot of people, started pushing. And even though there was a kind of attitude by Moultrie and Bray, who were up there testifying, I guess, they were being pressured. So um, Representative Carson started off by saying, the stigma has lasted too long. It's corrosive. What are you doing? You, you've had, you, you've, you know, you don't even have an active director yet. So it, I felt it was great. It was great because Congress was pushing for answers. Now, those answers, whatever they are, maybe they're not as good as all we want, but at least they're, they were pushing hard. That was a cool hearing. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's good that it happened at all yeah. and that they were asking some good questions. What was disappointing is the response from the Pentagon. Bray and Moultrie didn't seem to know anything about this issue that they'd been called to testify about. Uh, you had Representative Adam Schiff who asked some pointed questions, but the, really the, the hammer came down with Representative Gallagher uh, we should probably play a clip of that, uh, the kinds of things that he raised questions of that they had no way to answer. Um, Mr. Moultrie, as the chairman uh, mentioned, uh, DOD had an initiative to study UFOs in the 1960s called Project Blue Book. It's also been well reported in our briefing and in, in other places that we have more, have more recent projects, specifically uh, ATIP. Could you describe any other initiatives that the DOD or DOD contractors have managed after Project Blue Book ended and prior to ATIP beginning? Did anything also predate Project Blue Book? So I, I, I can't speak to what may have predated uh, Project Blue Book. So you're not aware of anything in between Project Blue Book and ATIP? I'm not aware of anything that's uh, official that was done in between those two. Uh, additionally, are you aware of any other DOD or DOD contract programs focused on UAPs from a technological engineering perspective? And by that, I mean, are you aware of any technology initiatives focused on this topic other than initiatives focused on the individual case inve investigations? I am not aware of any contractual programs that are focused on uh, any, anything related to this other than what we are doing in the Navy task force and what we are about to launch in terms of our effort. Uh, same question for you, Mr. Bray. Uh, same answer, not aware of anything outside what we uh, are doing in the UAP task force. So just to confirm, you're not aware of any technology or engineering resources that have been focused on these efforts besides what we've mentioned today? Once again, I'll say no contractual. It's also been reported uh, that there have been UAP observed uh, and interacting with and flying over sensitive military facilities, particularly and not just ranges, but uh, some facilities housing our strategic nuclear forces. Uh, one such incident allegedly occurred uh, uh, at Malmstrom Air Force Base, in which 10 of our nuclear ICBMs were rendered inoperable at the same time. A glowing red orb was observed overhead. I'm not commenting on the accuracy of this. I'm simply asking you whether you're aware of it and whether you have any comment on the accuracy of that report. Let me pass that to Mr. Bray. You've been looking at UAPs over the last uh, three years. Uh, that data is not uh, within the holdings of the UAP task force. Okay, but are you aware of the, the report or that the data exists somewhere? I have uh, I have heard stories. I have not seen the official data on that. So you've just seen informal stories, no official assessment that you've done or exists within DOD that you're aware of uh, regarding the Malmstrom incident. Uh, all I can speak to is you know what's within my cognizance, of the UAP task force, and we have not looked at that incident. Well, I would say I mean it's a pretty high-profile incident. Uh, I, I don't claim to be an expert on this, but that's out there in the ether. 
you're, you're the guys investigating it. I mean, if, who else is doing it? If something was officially brought to our attention, we would look at it. Uh, there are many things that are out there in the ether that aren't officially brought to our attention. So how would it have to be officially brought to your Excuse attention? I'm bringing it to your attention. Sure, so, <laughs> this is pretty official. Sure. So we'll go back and take a look at it, but generally there is some um, authoritative figure that says there is an incident that occurred. We'd like you to look at this. Uh, but in terms of just tracking what may be in the media that says that something occurred at this time, at this place, uh, there are probably a lot of leads that we would have to follow up on. I don't think we have a resource to do that right now. Well, I don't claim to be an authoritative figure, but for what it's worth, I would like you to look in, into it. And sure. If for no other reason, you could dismiss it and say this is not worth wasting resources on. We'll do. Um, and then finally, are, are you aware of a document that appeared around uh, 2019, uh, sometimes called the Admiral Wilson Memo or EW Notes Memo? I am, I am, I am not. You're not. Are you checking? I'm not personally aware of that. Okay. Uh, this is a document in which, again, I'm not commenting on the veracity. Uh, I was hoping you would help me with that, in which a former uh, head of DIA claims mm -hmm. to have had a conversation with the Dr. Eric Wilson uh, and claims to have uh, sort of been made aware of certain um, contractors or, or DOD programs um, that he tried to get uh, fuller access to and was denied uh, access to. Um, so you're not aware of, uh, of that? I'm not aware, Congressman. Uh, in my 10 seconds remaining, then, I, I guess I just would ask Mr. Chairman unanimous consent to enter that memo into the record. Without objection. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Appreciate it. I mean, genuinely, I love that guy. So he was, he not only pushed and had the, the right attitude, uh, he was almost reprimanding the people who supposed to be studying, you know, this for us, that they didn't know about the, the nuclear um, issues that were going on with UAP and UFOs. So he, he was great, man. And also what he did was he put in the congressional record, the, I'm going to say the Wilson Davis memo, because we know that Eric Davis, everybody knows, Eric Davis did have that meeting. That is what's said. We know exactly when and where and who, uh, whether it's acknowledged by everybody, that is real. The, the, the fact that meeting happened is real. And he put that on the congressional record. So Representative Gallagher, obviously, has good sources and he has good information and he has enough where he feels compelled to push that hard. I was really encouraged by the way he handled the UFO topic. And I suspect from recent things that he's been saying and has come out from his uh, group is that, oh, he's on this. He's not going to put it down. Yeah. So getting the Wilson Davis memos on the record as part of a congressional testimony and hearing is was a huge step, I think, in, in taking at least taking notice that the issue of crash retrievals and reverse engineering is something that Congress is interested in. The Wilson Davis memo, of course, is a, a meeting that allegedly, I think it really did take place. You in know, Las, it, you know yeah, it took it place. It did take place in Las Vegas between Dr. Eric Davis, who was a physicist. He'd worked for the U.S. Air Force. He worked for NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Science. He became a consultant to both OSAP and ATIP. So he knows his way around the UFO issue. And he was meeting with Admiral Wilson, the former head of the DIA, talking about crash retrievals and how hard it was to gain information and how hard it was to pierce the veil of secrecy surrounding these programs. So that's on the record now. And it's pretty clear of statements that other members of Congress have been making that they're hot on the trail of crash retrievals. And these, this, the implications are huge. Uh, that there is non-human technology, something from somewhere else, whether it's ET or interdimensional, something that we did not make that crashed, that we've been analyzing, that's been stashed in presumably special access programs, uh, controlled by defense contractors, presumably funded secretly uh, by, by the public, but in black budget money that not even members of Congress get to see. Um, the implications are huge, not only that our world has a non-human inhabitants and visitors, but also that we've been lied to about this. Yeah. So people that, that don't know. So what, what I understand from the memo is that, first of all, it was Dr. Edgar Mitchell, six man to walk on the moon, a guy that I filmed a bunch with at his home in Florida. And he when he died, this memo was in his archive. It wasn't something the public was supposed to see. But additionally, when this got out, it shows this guy, Wilson, Admiral Wilson, who I believe was the J-2 at the time. The J-2 has uh, oversight over all the black budget SAPs. And he was furious that he didn't have access to one of them, let's say, I don't know, at Lockheed. So then he goes in and he's like, hey, I'm supposed to have oversight. And he's met by five people 
kind of lawyerly type that says, oh, we got a what they call a bigot list, only certain people that can be read in. He's like, no, no, I'm supposed to have oversight over all of this. And they threatened his career to even bring it up that they've almost been exposed through auditing before. That's not going to happen again. You can't see the hardware that we have. And he was furious. By all accounts, he was furious. Now, he can deny. And he said in the meeting, if this ever comes up, I will deny it. And to this day, he denies it. But fact is fact, he was there, that conversation was had, and he was stopped. They called themselves the watch committee. At least we got somebody watching this shit because I, I don't know who's in charge. Is there any adult in the room? And this is actually, I, this is the first time I'll be very clear with people about it. It's a big topic of conversation right now. It's called the Wilson Memo. You can look it up. Admiral Wilson met with a scientist who's actually was featured in one of my films. Everybody has been debating whether or not this document of a conversation with a with a sitting admiral at the time is a real document. It's an actual conversation that happened and this document is real. Everybody wants to know the world is going crazy right now in the UFO world. Admiral Wilson meets with this scientist and they have this discussion, oddly enough, at special projects at EG&G. And if I remember, the document is from 2001. I'm telling everybody right now, it's real. And we'll see, my history is pretty good with like saying if something's real or not, right? So here we go. The document comes out. They meet at EG&G special projects. In 1989, they, they stumble into a problem. This happens, they put the technology away and then they bring it back out and see if material science has caught up and if they can make any progress. So this document kind of talks about this process. The big thing I get from it, and a lot of it's vindicating to Bob, and one of the things it's vindicating besides the EG&G thing, is that private industry, so this guy's an admiral, and he says, I, sh I found out about your SAP, your special access program. I need to know about it. And he's going to a, a, a private part of industry and he is denied access. And he says, I, you know, I should be running this program. And they were able to deny him access. So let's say if, if Lockheed has a program that's very compartmentalized, only a few people know about, and they've been exploiting non-terrestrial technologies, and they're even telling representatives of our government who are tasked with oversight, you're not on the list. That is a problem. I've talked to other admirals that had equal positions, and they were like, no, you should be able to get in there and you should be able to see it. Fact is, he wasn't. So if that's what's going on, if private industry has, has got control of this stuff, and there's almost like, and it, Rubio said this in, in longer form comments that wasn't aired recently, he said there, there seems to be some sort of sub, I don't know his exact words, sub controller group or sub government within our government that somehow has oversight over this. And that's a scary thought. That's like the idea that we don't have proper oversight which is what it appears to be. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the other implication of this is who are the keepers of the secrets? Right. Is there a government within our government? Is there a shadow government that decides where this money to keep this secrecy going gets allocated? Is there no chain of, of custody? Is there no way to track how that money is spent? Who's, who's doing the spending and who makes the decisions on behalf of the American public about what we're allowed to know? Right, because it is our money. It is public money. But if people say that, and it never really hits me that hard, it's more like if this technology is being reverse engineered for U.S. advantage, I get that, and secrets need to be kept. But, oh, hell no, not without oversight. That's not a democracy. So the idea that Admiral Wilson was not allowed to have oversight and was threatened now we're now we have the problem of what we're seeing now. What could happen next? So we had that hearing when you're talking about, and that was really cool. And again, there were, there were other champions, but Gallagher really shined. Representative Gallagher really shined. But there was another one. But this wasn't like a hearing. This was like uh, it, it was cool. Senator Gillibrand. She wanted to make sure that Arrow had everything they need to do their job, and so appreciated. She's been a champion on this. But it wasn't really like a hearing. It was like, hey, man, you got all the money you need. Oh, cool. What else can we do as far as authorities? So I guess that was good. But what did you think of that second UFO hearing? Though Arrow is still a young office, the spotlight on UAP in recent months underscores the importance of its work and the need for UAP to be taken seriously as a matter of national security. Well, again, I guess it's something where you need to manage your expectations going into these things because it was, it was Sean Kirkpatrick's show and he gave testimony and then uh, it responded to a couple of questions and his answers were truly deflating. He's telling this committee who's asking about, you know, they're hot on the trail of crash retrievals and 
secret witnesses and closed door testimony. And he's basically telling them, I haven't seen anything that would suggest that nothing credible in terms of evidence that suggests there are crash retrievals, non-human technology, things of that sort. He kind of deflated the whole thing. Yeah, and it, it kind of like, it, it kind of, I don't know, maybe there's a reason for it, I don't know. We did learn some good information, like that the it's the year of the sphere, baby. Spheres are the most common UAP seen across the globe right now. But what really bothered me was we provided the Mosul orb image to the public that's from a video. And that video, it's inherently unclassified with no markations or anything like that. However, we said, why don't you just show that video? Well, he brings up a different video, which is, which is cool. I'm glad, you know, thank you. I'm glad to accept it. But why not give what the public is asking for, show the Mosul orb that would validate whatever it is that we reported or it won't. It will if they show it. And then they showed a resolved case as if to educate people on what a UFO is not. We, we, we know balloons exist. We know birds exist. So he shows this thing that looks remarkably, remarkably like the Baghdad Phantom, which is something we released, and says this is a solved case. Looked kind of cool at first. Even goes into what you see in the little digital trail behind it. Yeah, I kind of felt like that was a little bit of a bamboozle. Like, sounds good. We know. So what are you really doing? Are you just um, taking in new pieces of evidence and trying to like analyze those? Are you going back to like, it, are there reverse engineering programs? Have you received testimony from people who physically worked on them? And I know the answer to that is yes. It is yes, he has received, and not just him, not just Arrow, because not everybody trusts Arrow. You and I, through certain means, have sent people Arrow's way, as well as to other people's way, Senate Intelligence Committee, that kind of thing, Gang of Eight. They have heard testimony that they find credible. Why didn't he, he talk about that? Why didn't he admit that he heard testimony that he should be working on to validate that we have these exploitation yeah, I don't know the answer to that, but I know that the effect it had on other potential whistleblowers, it was incredibly disappointing. People who are still debating about whether it is worth the risk to their careers, their livelihoods, their, their lives, to come forward and tell what they know. See that statement. They know that there have been some people who've put it all on the line and have t shared information with Arrow, with Kirkpatrick, with Congress, and for him to deflate the whole thing and dismiss it with the wave of his hand is incredibly disappointing, I would think. Now, so many things have happened just in the past year on this crash retrieval story. You know, it was folklore for a long time. Roswell was a story. We'll never get to the bottom of it. Uh, the Air Force had done such an incredible job of muddying the waters. Then the crash retrieval story gets a new uh, lifeline at 34 years ago when Bob Lazar comes forward and says, I've been working on this stuff. And a lot of people regard that as crash as folklore as well. Well, now, more recently, we've got people working in these actual programs who've been meeting with members of Congress, people like Dave Grush, who is, you know, from all intents and purposes, we think Congress took his testimony seriously. They believe what he's saying. Uh, they think he's credible. And he's, he's spent a lot of hours telling them the story, telling them basically where the bodies are buried. Maybe not literally bodies are buried, but could be. Um, Dave cannot say exactly what he told them, and, and nor would we expect him to, but he's made an impression, impression enough to where Senator Marco Rubio comes out in the last couple of weeks and make these incredibly strong statements. We're on the trail of this. They they have it. They, they see smoke. They're looking for fire. And I, I don't think that they're going to stop short of uh, getting some solid answers on, do we have crash retrievals? Who are the keepers of the secrets? Who makes up the decision that the American public should not know? How much progress, if any, have they made in reverse engineering this technology and these materials? What do our adversaries do? If they have crash retrievals too, where are they on this? I know for a fact that they have been told that there are UFOs, full craft hardware in, in these specific storage locations. Um, there's some stuff maybe, you know, people shouldn't know as far as like journalists, but I know for a fact that they've been told that. Now, have they been able to go look at that? And that includes biologicals. And to be blunt, that means physical bodies. They have been told that information. Does that mean that they can get access though? That's what uh, Admiral Wilson ran into is not getting access. So can we shake this up? Now, what, what do we need now? Now we've had these hearings, all this, but the one thing that's been missing, the one thing that's been missing is hearing directly under oath by credible individuals who have personal experience with either seeing these as pilots, uncovering the misappropriation of funds and these secret programs, or maybe running 
some of these UFO programs. I would like to see those people on camera in public congressional hearings, and we hear that that stuff is coming. Well, yeah, we know that uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, the Senate Intelligence Committee approved unanimously this legislation that seems tailor-made to get to the bottom of the crash retrieval reverse engineering story. They're offering carrots and sticks to defense contractors to come forward, tell what they know or else. Um, so whether or not that legislation passes the full Senate and the House and gets signed by the president, we don't know. But we do know there's a lot of impetus behind it. We have not yet seen the pushback from the Defense Department and defense contractors. They wield enormous influence, as we were talking about last week. And, um, and so I don't think they've even started ramping up. We've got a long way to go before the legislation might pass. And then even if it does pass, does that get to the bottom of it? Will these companies comply with the will of Congress, with the law, uh, or will they continue to hide it and move things around under a shell? And then even if Congress does find out about it, are they going to be allowed to tell us? We don't know that. But what we've been hearing is that our congressional hearings are coming, both in the House and in the Senate, and might be real soon. Yeah. So as long as everything goes on track, it, it will be at, at the end of this month. It's, it's been pretty much announced at this, at this point. Uh, I will say that I've been very proactive with making sure that people get connected to the right people within Congress and Senate. They have their own archive of people now, you know, that have come forward to them. Uh, I, I saw something in, uh, it was Representative Comer, it said something about some people didn't pass their background checks, you know, when it comes to testifying. I don't think he's talking about this upcoming hearing and the, and the people that are gonna be testifying at that. I'm sure they get a pantheon of people that come to them about, uh, I mean, I know they get a pantheon of people because I know some of the people that, that went to them, I. I couldn't validate their stories too, but they do get good people that come forward. So the, the idea is, what does the public get to see first? Who do they get to see first? Uh, what impact will that have on us socially? Uh, and, and will that inspire other people to come forward? To put a, a real point on this, there are people that are working in the intelligence community, at even three-letter agencies that want to come forward but they are locked into their job, their careers, depending on it, they, they definitely can't say anything that's classified, especially to a journalist or something like that, but in the right setting, they can tell the whole story. And so getting them in there to talk is, is the key, and I think they'll be encouraged if they see how David Grush, how his whistleblowing, how that's handled, and also, it, it's always encouraging to see people come forward on camera uh, and talk about their direct experience. Well, you know, I guess if we really want to know the lowdown on when and where uh, hearings, the next set of hearings will be um, conducted, we should probably reach out to that fire-breathing member of Congress named Tim Burchett. Oh, yeah, Tim Burchett, man. Uh, he is a, a warrior for UFO truth. Absolutely transparency. He does not want this cover-up anymore. I would love to talk with him. You think we can get him on the phone? We should do it right now. Okay. Hey there, can you see us? Yes, sir. Excellent. Oh, perfect, man. You see our studio? That's <laughs> yeah, very cool. It's a big honor. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being here, man. So we got about 15 minutes with you out here, so we want to dive into it. You know, there are a lot of people on, on uh, Capitol Hill that are talking about UFOs these days. I don't think there's a more fiery or outspoken advocate for UAP disclosure than you. Um, can you tell us about, we've been hearing rumblings about hearings. Can you tell us what the status of House hearings are and what you would hope to accomplish in that? Yeah, we're hoping to have them around the end of um, July. Of course, you have to realize that we're not that the committee, um, the chairman will set the date, of course. And I and I'm, I'm leery of exposing too many of the people that we'd like to have in just because in the past, as you know, they get demonized in the press and, you know, they'll pull their third grade teacher out and they'll say, oh, he cheated in math, you know, or something. And uh, New York Times, or New York, one of the New York, maybe not the Times, but maybe the New York papers will, will um, you know, go after him. And I, so, but I, I just want to get to the truth. I want to get to the people. I'm not, I'm not as so much worried. Everybody's like, you need all these bureaucrats in there. I don't want the bureaucrats in there. They're the ones who've been lying to us. I want people who have firsthand knowledge that can talk about, some of the um, the incidents that have happened, and some of the people that that uh, 
have some credibility within the within the community as well. But you know, and and two, we have to be as I've been informed by the the chair, chairman Comer. We don't want to. I don't want to um, talk to the people too much ahead of time. I don't want to get. I mean, I want them to know what's going to happen. I don't want them to be surprised. But I, I sure as heck don't want to coach them. So I have to be real careful because I want it to be a pure committee because it's going to be a bipartisan thing. We're not going to allow partisanship to rear its ugly head. There is no reason for partisanship in this. I have some some very close Democrat friends in Congress who have um, who have who we've talked about this issue, and we just don't need it to to get into that realm. Let's. The, the American public wants to know, and 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 that government they deserve. We deserve to get some truth out there. Finally, can you give us a sense of how, when, and why you got hooked on this subject? Well, um, as a young man, I guess young a young boy, um, back when it was, uh, uh, you know, we had pu- what was called public libraries before computers were were <laughs> brought in. And uh, right, you know, mom and dad would say, "Look it up." They, they didn't say Google it, and um, and so you know, I would um, I'd go to the library, and um, my parents would just leave me there for hours a day sometimes, and I would uh, and there was a um, a table set up, and it had all the the stuff that that I'm interest, still interested in. You know, it had Bigfoot, it had UFOs, and I was just fascinated by it. I was like, "What is this stuff?" and um, you know, I remember I went to a movie to see the Bigfoot. It was supposed to be about Bigfoot and UFOs. And, um, and you know, down here, at I think the Capri Cinema, just no more. And, um, you know, and then it was, it was about all this other crazy stuff. And it didn't, and then finally they got the UFOs. And it was just a very short segment. It was very disappointing. And, you know, I remember the old Leonard Nimoy in search of, of course, and all that. And, you know, and I, have I ever seen a UFO? No, no, I have not. Well, I got a question about that. I got a question about that. So you uh, at one point have talked about a meeting that you had in Florida. And what I want to know from you is, have you seen in your position, have you seen credible information, video footage of something from pilots or something that, that indicates to you there is a technology that's more advanced than what the United States has? We need to figure out what it is. Have you personally seen evidence like that? I have seen evidence that it, that no one, as a matter of fact, Matt Gates said it best that he has seen evidence that there of, of an aircraft of craft that do not exist on this on this planet, basically. So yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. And you personally have seen that. Can you tell me? You've said some public statements about it. You know, can you tell me a little bit about that meeting and why it gave you an unsettling feeling? Well, they, they just tried to cover it up. We go down there, and I, as myself, Matt Gates, and and uh, Representative Luna, they're both Florida folks. And I told Matt, I said, you know, we're going to get down there, and they're going to tell us that this thing's going to happen. I mean, that we're going to get to see all this. We're going to get down there, and they're they're going to show us a bunch of other stuff. And in fact, that's the way it went down. And they weren't going to show us. And, and then so we um, some calls were made. We were put off into another room. Um, which I'm pretty sure was bugged and because um, it had cameras in the ceilings. I mean, it was just, I'd seen something very similar to that when I was in the Middle East. But they, um, you know, then an hour later, they came back basically and said, not sure who you all know, but we're going to bring in, bring in what we, you know, we were supposed to, we were told we were going to get briefed by pilots who had seen stuff. And, um, and so uh, they finally did and they brought them back and, you know, it was just a, um, they just, and the pilots, you could tell were very uneasy. And the, as I call them, the spooks in the room, the CIA or whoever they were, were very uneasy about what they were telling us about. And, and, um, and so, you know, and I've been in, un, in a, and that was, a, I've been in unclassified things too, where people have literally had people come by the house that wanted to visit me in Washington, but were afraid to, and literally came to my house here in Knoxville and, um, and showed me things on video, you know, similar to the Tic Tac videos um, and, uh, and things like that. And, you know, and, 
and these people had scientific backgrounds and they were very credible. So, but that was a classified meeting that you were in, uh, in, in Florida. But, but I, I do have a question. Are pilots being discouraged from releasing or, or, or putting this information or this video up the chain of command? Do you hear anything about that? Absolutely. 100%. They, um, you know, they, they claim they have this whistleblower protection, but you know, I don't trust the military. I don't trust the Pentagon as far as I could throw, throw the, that building. They are, um, you know, we've been told that they'll be, they'll actually destroy information or, or video prior to um, getting back to the base because they'll have to be debriefed, as they call it, for eight hours, which which I've been told is more of an interrogation, and it will be put on their record. And this is just, and it's common among these top pilots that, and to me, that is disgusting. I just, there's an arrogance about that, that these people, um, in power think that they have over us and it just it just it's just ridiculous and it drives me crazy and i'm, I'm i just won't put up with it i'm going to expose it and they're going to make fun of me and call me a tinfoil hat fool or whatever and that's fine but you know i know what i saw i know what i've heard and it's wrong you know we, we've got to get to the bottom of this thing as Congress edges closer to finding out if crash retrievals have happened, if reverse engineering special access programs are real, would you expect major pushback from the Pentagon? I mean, they clearly have kept this a secret a long time. Contractors, they have a lot of influence on Capitol Hill. Are they coming after people like you? Are they trying to thwart the committee from getting into the bottom of I feel, I feel 100% they are. I feel, I feel that there's people in Congress that have been compromised. And I know I'm going to get pulled on, called on the carpet for this and say, who and how do you know this? But, you know, why do good people vote for crappy stuff? And all of a sudden they just have a change of heart. I'll tell you how they've been compromised. You go, you're in some foreign country or you're at the bar and then some attractive person comes up to you and giggling at your jokes and telling you how smart you are. Next thing you know, you're in bed with them in a motel room. And then lo and behold, a week later, somebody says, hey, somebody whispers in your ear, I got footage of you with some little young thing here in the, you know, at this time. And I said, I need your I need your help on this thing. And yeah, I think people are compromised, I think. And I think staff are compromised. I think um, and there's this is a billion dollar situation. If you if whoever has this information and this technology is is leading the as my daddy used to say, is in the catbird seat. What kind of uh, feedback do you get from your constituents, your district voters uh, on this issue? Do they tell you, uh, we don't care about this, do something else, or are they, is it positive? Surprisingly, I have a lot of people that are very prominent. When I had lunch with a lady, one of the top PR people in, this, in the state, for instance. Um, she's a big believer. I was on an airplane you know, I fly to D.C. every miserable week, and it's just, ugh. you know, and you walk by the guy. It used to be pretty cool. I think I'd flown a half a dozen times before I got elected to Congress. I've been to Washington twice, and now I can, you know, I can do it blindfolded. But I'm getting on the airplane, and there's this well-kept dude sitting on the right side there in, in first class, you know, and he's kind of kicked back, and he's wearing, looks to me like a, a, a several hundred dollar suit, you know, and the nice shoes, you know the deal. And um, and he says, Congressman, about that UAP issue. And I thought, here it comes. You know, he's going to hit me between the eyes. You know, a little green man. Hey, man, don't get probed. You know, some kind of smart up thing. He goes, I really appreciate you having the having the courage to take that on. And I go, and I was kind of taken aback. And I go, uh, you had an experience? And he goes, he said, yeah, I saw something sometime. I'll, and um, maybe sometime I'll talk to you about it. And I said, hey, that'd be great. And, you know, I gave him my card. And, I mean, this has happened time, if I can call you George, if that's all right, time and time and time again. And it's, um, you know, I, I've just, uh, and it's people that I would not suspect. A friend I worked with in the legislature years ago had an incredible experience when he was in the Navy on a, on a ship. And then when he got back to shore, um, the suits came aboard and told him it was a national security thing to not to talk about it. And you know what? They didn't talk about it, but he, it happened in the fifties. I mean, you all, you, I, you all have seen that time more so than I have, but now, but here's my fear guys is that 
I'm getting some clown that's a, you know, he's a plant that's going to give me a, a false flag, and then I'm going to come forward with it to embarrass the UFO community. And so I'm very leery about exposing any of this, and especially my friends, because they've confided in me, and I get it. And I'm catching hell, too. I get the calls every day, you know, and I totally expect to see this in, um, in when I'm when, in my op whoever runs against me in the next year or so. Sure. And I, and I you know, it's going to come from high up and I suspect they'll be well-funded, but you know, because I'm making a lot of people uncomfortable, but you know what? That's when they fire at you when you're over the target and dadgummit boys, we are over the target. Uh, absolutely. We are over the target. And I really appreciate Congressman, the way that you've dealt with the issue. Of course you will get slings and arrows and welcome to our world. Of course, people are going to try to feed you disinformation. And so you need to vet everything. And, you know, there's a couple of people here you can vet stuff with. We've seen most of it. But but here's the question I have for you. You know, we have been talking personally for a long time now about these hearings coming up, the importance of having pilots and people with direct experiences come forward to the American public and say on record, under oath, what it is that they saw, heard, experienced or know. Have you seen direct attempts to sabotage these hearings, which we have been talking about for quite a while now, have you seen direct um, or have you seen instead cooperation? I have I have seen cooperation, but it's it's sort of like the government, one side saying they, that these don't exist and the other side saying fund us so we can study it. Um, you know, I've seen both, which is kind of interesting when I get it, when I get it. And, and the best work I do is one on one. If I've got a problem with the speaker of the house, I'll go, I'll go see Kevin McCarthy and say, speaker, I need, I need five minutes. And you know what? He gives me five minutes because they realize I don't bother him with a bunch of garbage. And I've done the same with chairman Comer. I felt blowback. I felt that we've, um, that people are trying to, um, to move this thing off and to, um, to kill it, so to speak, and, uh, and turn it into some sort of partisan thing. And then yet, I'll go to see Chairman Comer and we have a one-on-one -on -one and we work it out because I think in, in their heart, they want to see this thing. They want to see the truth out as well as anybody else does. What was that thing that we saw in the press uh, just uh, uh, yesterday that Chairman Comer was saying that some people had failed their background test? Because I know and you know some of the people that, that should be testifying. Who, what, what did that mean? Who failed the background test? Well, you know, I, I talked to Chairman Comer about that, and I, from what I understood, was that was a mischaracterization, um, and I hope, I hope that that is that's what was conveyed to me in the strongest way possible, and I believe, and the press does this a lot, they, um, and and it's not not their own fault. They'll get some background information, and I think that. Um, if it wasn't a mischaracterization, some people got scared and went back underground. So that's that. Uh, so whatever the the positive is, is that we're still having the dadgum hearing. And I don't know who's, you know, I, as I've stated, many of those people are going to be uh, tried to be discredited. Somebody's got their ear. But again, I think that's a good sign that we're on the right track with this hearing. I don't know what you all think about it, but I think that that. The press asking those questions and saying those things at the right time, it couldn't have been a better thing for us. Yeah. So just to be clear, and uh, George has more for you, but just to be clear, the people that we know are going to be testifying have not failed any background test. That is not the case, correct? That is correct. Okay. That is okay. correct. The Senate Intelligence Committee unanimously passed this amazing piece of legislation that now goes to the full Senate, I guess, that targets special access programs, defense contractors who might be hiding recovered saucers, technology. Uh, what would you say is the chance of that passing in the House? And do does the House investigation and the Senate investigation, are you guys exchanging information or their stuff is theirs and your stuff is yours? Well, unfortunately, there is no liaison. I've said, I've said that, you know, as in the state legislature, I was always the senator that would go back. I spent four years in the House and and uh, 12 years in the state Senate. I was always the one that went back and forth. I would go talk to the Democrat leadership and the Republican leadership, and I'm a Republican, obviously. But I had that relationship. So I'm trying to develop that with the Senate, but there's just a whole different level of, uh, of bureaucracy 
and there is no real liaison. It's kind of a magical thing when a bill, um, you pass something in the house and then everybody cheers and pats you on the back. I'm like, well, what are we doing in the Senate? Well, that's up to them over there. I was like, well, hell no, it's not. We got to get this thing done. And, you know, I get the old merchant. That's not the way we've done things around here thing a lot. And I, and I appreciate that, but I'm going to go after it. I'm, I'm going to make, I'm going to talk to my people that are on those committees in the house to make sure, because there's enough people that um, think like the three of us do that will, um, will help push that. And they are very articulate in the manner that they, they speak and think. And I, um, I look forward to that fight. Can you imagine an argument being made, and maybe it will be, that exposing reverse engineering programs of this unknown technology as a bad idea, that if we reveal it, it, it puts us in a bad position versus our adversaries in the world. Can you imagine an argument like that working with you? No. <laughs> Heck no. Um, uh, I've come from a, a pretty common sense upbringing. Um, you see those rifles behind me. Those were, as my daddy would say, they were liberated from some Japanese soldiers that my dad fought against. And um, we're pretty plain spoken people. And, and I don't, I don't take that kind of uh, thing very lightly. So okay. no, I, I, Look, we need to get this out. I think um, there's no reason that it's not. The biggest fear I have is the Pentagon and the research people realize that we want it out and they're going to ask for billions of dollars in funding where I think you all agree. Just put out what you've got and let us decide. Put out the unredacted files, those crazy things that you and I have all, you all three of us and, you know, and, and George is a, as a reporter, I'm sure you've seen these you've Freedom of Information Act, you know, which is really just bogus. It just allows them time to say, oh, wait, they want this stuff. Let's let's cover up all this stuff. And they white out everything. And and Jeremy, I know you and I have talked about this in the past as well. It's just very frustrating. Just give us the unredacted files. And I go back to I go back to the Kennedy assassination 60 years ago. Nobody's alive. That was a part of that. And yet they still will not release it. There is, it's, it's just, it's power. I, I've been in, I, I'll give you an example of the, the psychology we're, we're dealing with. And I, I'm sorry, I pontificate too much, but the, um, and that's a big, big word for a Tennessean. So, but yeah, I, I'm with, I'm with somebody in leadership a while back and they were at, at an, uh, we were at, we were at a fundraiser and they go, Oh, the president wants to talk to me. And so they go back to the back room and they get on the phone with the president. They don't allow me or anybody else to be in there. They're sort of the gatekeeper, you know, and, and it's this mentality that they were talking to the president and they didn't let anybody else. Well, you multiply that by a hundred thousand. And that's what this UFO thing is. Yeah, they've got this information and for whatever reason, they do not want anybody else to have it. It's there's an arrogance involved with it. There's a, um, a financial incentive and there's corruption involved with it, too. So uh, just just turn it loose. I'm, I'm tired of waiting. The American public is tired of it. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm 100 percent with you. I feel that we have a right to know the American public has uh, has a need to know. And, and I also feel that I personally, as a reporter and a journalist, have a have a, a duty to find out. Now, George and I have argued about that. What if the reality is so intense, you know, can people handle it? But but I'm for the record, I'm with you. Whatever the truth is, I, I, we're going to throw a, a UFO transparency grenade into the public. People have a, have a right to know, a need to know. And again, I have a, I feel a duty to find out whatever the reality is, no matter how strange or bizarre or even scary it is, as long as we don't hurt our country and our advantage, the American public has has a has a need and a right to know. Do you agree, hundred percent? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Congressman, thanks for your time. Uh, we'll have to come see you in Washington, and maybe we'll come to Knoxville and hang out. Man, I would I would dig that. I would you know take y'all out, take you to a few of my my haunts. We'd have a great time. Y'all could stay here at my house. We got a great big old. I got sixty acre farm, and you could help me 
shovel horse manure. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like an invitation we can't refuse. Yeah, that, that's that's literally not what we do in, in Washington. I'm talking literal. We got horses and we clean stables. So, hey, I appreciate you guys. God bless y'all. And it's, it's really an honor to be on with y'all. I follow y'all on the internet for years. And it's, it's I never in my wildest dreams thought that we would be friends. So thank y'all. Thanks, Carlos. Yeah, thank you so much for being a champion for the UFO transparency movement. You have a lot of people that are grateful to you in the public for just being a voice for them, for representing them as a representative. So I just want to say thank you so much for what you've done and what you're going to do. And hell yes, we're having hearings and no one's going to stop it, right? Right on. Right. If we don't, if they stop us, we're coming to Knoxville, Tennessee, and we're going to have them here on the farm. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll, I'll have my own security. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> See y'all. Thanks. Thank Sam. you. Thank Thanks. you. See you Bye. soon. Well, Congressman Burchett doesn't pull any punches. Uh, it's clear he's a plain speaking guy, speaks his mind, no bureaucratic ease, no legal ease. He just says it flat out. And he still, though, plays his cards pretty close to the vest about hearings coming soon. He says, end of July. But he's not going to, ready to say who might testify, and that makes sense. It, it does make sense because you never know what's going to happen. But we know who's going to testify. I mean, in, in the per, in the perfect world. But I'm glad he cleared up that comment about background checks because that's not anybody that should be testifying coming up. Um, I also really I love the way he said that we have uh, you know a right to know, or I said we have a right to know, a need to know. But he concurred with that, and I know that we've had debates in the past of like, can the public handle it? Is it too scary? And I got to say, man, I don't care what the reality is. It's like we got to, unless it hurts the United States of America, definitively. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, me, he made it very clear he has seen stuff now. Now he's seen something that was significantly affected his opinion about the legitimacy of this issue. He can't say exactly what it was, but it's pretty clear that he's been pretty impressed by whatever it was. Uh, I also thought it was interesting that his discussion of the pushback. So, mentioning that we've been hearing this about pilots who've been told to destroy evidence. This is in the current era. You know, after Arrow exists, after the UAP task force, after whistleblower protections that U.S. service members are being told, don't turn that in, don't report it, higher ups. Well, there, there's a couple of elements to that. Who is doing the censorship? There's an element of self-censorship. So there are some cases of that where people don't want to go in and do a debrief and get it on their record because it's more like an interrogation in his words. And I have heard those reports and I know that to be true. There is self-censorship, but there is another layer of censorship that I'm directly aware of. And it has to do with something you and I are gonna be talking about in the near future, which are UFO swarms like we saw in 2019, but off the coast of Japan on US Navy warships. In that case, when you would report something up, they were not getting proper responses. So the censorship came from higher up. You need to stop reporting this. And that's pretty crazy because they know it wasn't our technology. We'll get more into that. So the censorship is double layered. There's a self-censorship, but then there's also official scrub your data stuff. And that's fucking frightening. I, I know it seemed like it was off the main path to ask him about his constituents, how they react. But he's a member of the House. He has to run every two years. They are directly responsible to their voters. So I want to know how his voters are, are what he's hearing about. And it sounds like his constituents are totally behind this. People want to know the truth about UFOs. They want to know the truth now. They know we've been lied to. You helped break that story. You've sat on stories for years in order to be able to report them properly. People want to know. The public is ready for whatever the truth is. They want to know. So he's going to get support for being a UFO guy. We're back in the day. He might not have. Sounded like there are some uh, failures to communicate between the Senate and the House. That's not a surprise. Right. On this issue, which, as he said, it's bipartisan. You know, we have interest in both parties. It may be the only bipartisan issue in Washington at this time. But uh, it's unfortunate that maybe the Senate and the House aren't sharing information. They're both investigating this on their at their own pace, uh, but not uh, there may be com more competitors than they are collaborators. Yeah, and and also the, the thing that I was really encouraged by what uh, Congressman Burchett just said, and we've talked a lot about this, which is the bipartisan, uh, you know, coming at this from both sides. So I find it very encouraging that we can bond over this one issue. It was like a non-issue. He'll reveal that when he's ready. It was a non-issue to get a total bipartisan setup for this. 
everybody is down to find out the truth about this. And that was so cool. Well, there is a House hearing coming. We have some inklings about who might testify, yep. even though he's not telling us right now. It's pretty clear from him, what from uh, Congressman Birch's statements, that he has not heard an argument that could dissuade him from wanting to have transparency and exposing, spilling all the beans. Uh, I, I suspect that the other shoe will still drop, that there is going to be a push back from the Pentagon, from defense contractors, they spent a lot of money on Capitol Hill. They spent a lot of money around the campaigns. I think that they, before this becomes a reality, there's going to be a major pushback to try to stop this in its tracks. Yeah, well, he did say that people were trying to torpedo this, and I know specifically some attempts to do so, but also there's a lot of support. So look, it's good and bad, right hand and left hand. Ultimately, we're going to win. I still say kick open the doors, tell the public the truth. I mean, it's time to be loud. Well, I think there's a hearing that's coming. It's coming really soon. It's coming perhaps this month, unless it gets derailed some way. We're going to hear from witnesses other than just the guys, the spokespersons from the Pentagon or from Arrow, who don't seem to want to spill any kind of a beans that the public wants to hear. Uh, so can't wait for that to happen. I'm excited, man. We might have to go. Oh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Studios available now for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your shows.